All right, if you open your Bibles to John chapter 1, and the plan for the net, uh, these past, the past week, this week, and the week to come in the will of the Lord is to focus in on uh, Christmas messages or Christmas stories, and around this time of year, we like to remember the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Son of God. And it's quite interesting why that a, this actually fell on this date. But you'll find uh, much of its origins not too Christian-like, uh, so we think today. But um, over the centuries, emperors, Roman emperors and such, they decided that it would fall on December 25th. By no means do we say that the Lord was actually born on uh, well, was made manifest on the 25th of December, but this is the time of year where we remember these things, and these three messages will be uh, centering in on different aspects of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the world. I know last week uh, you guys were in Isaiah, and it's quite interesting uh, looking at the servant. Behold my servant. Well, in Isaiah, it's, it's, it's very interesting. God was always seeking... Uh, a king that would do his will or someone that would follow out fully. You have in the beginning of the book, Ahaz, who was an unfaithful king, but he did not believe the command of the Lord. And then you have Hezekiah, who, you know, he generally was a good king, but he uh, was arrogant. But then in 42, it shifts to another person who would ultimately be the king, the true king, and would follow out everything that God would desire, behold my servant. Right? And so, and you guys were in 49. But um, this week, what we like to consider is normally the, as we were just hearing some of the verses quoted, uh, from the narrative of the Christmas story um, is normally in Matthew and Luke. But we're actually going to go to John and springboard into uh, something... Um, Something a little bit different, but yet on the same thing. So let's just open in a word of prayer before we get started. Our Father, we just ask that we, you'd open up our eyes and that we might behold wondrous things from your law. In Lord Jesus' name, do pray. Amen. Okay, so here in John, um, we'll look at one verse and then we'll continue. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth so john the book of john and the theme of john has a lot to do with the son of god uh jesus being the son of god not merely just being a man there's this group um there's this group that, that gathers surveys and polls and, and kind of gets the flavor of the nation. They're called uh, uh, Gallup, the Gallup group. It's like a university group. But they did a survey. You can look it up. Um, they also wrote a book, uh, Who Do Americans Say That I Am? But they gathered a survey to see exactly who Jesus is. And now, you know, you've got to take this, you know, with the idea that you don't know who they're surveying and things like that. But to get the general idea, most people think, well, he was just a good man. You know, most of them, he had good teachings. He came to save us. He is Savior. Um, 
some may even say, and you know, you might talk to, well, he is Lord, right? But they haven't made him their Lord, so we know they're not true Christians. But John puts it forward that, and each book of the, the gospel has something different about to say about the Lord Jesus. But John puts it forward that he is God. No questions about it, right? And so here's what we have here. The word became flesh. It's the idea, and, and we translate this from the Greek. He says that he existed before, but now is he became or he existed in a new form, in the physical tent of a body. That means he, we read uh, this morning too, that before the foundations of the world, he was foreknown. Uh, God foreknew him. That means that he existed before even time began. Before what we think uh, is really old and what we think is, you know, way back when. Well, he existed in eternity past. He already existed. And so that, that, that's really what gripped me. Um, whenever we get around this time, and, and really any time that we come in the morning to think that, God would become like one of us. Now, when we say like one of us, made in the likeness of us, he isn't, you know, us. He's God. He's divine. We are not. But that he would appear to be like this. Um, Philippians says this in, in very um, quoted, well-known passage in two. It says, uh, the Lord Jesus, that he was found in the appearance of a man. That you looked at him and said, well, that looks like, you know, looks like I'm looking in the mirror, right? He's. He's, he looks like us. And, and, and there's different descriptions. Even in, in Isaiah, last week there was, Behold my servant. And there's different descriptions of him. And, and what, what exactly would God say? What exactly would God be doing? And that's really where we want to go, is what exactly God did. Well, let's finish this verse. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is only the begotten, uh, as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so... There was this glory about him that was not, uh, was not, um, was intrinsically his, but it was from the Father because he is God. And so, even though he was, uh, uh, there was this, uh, he decided to, and all the attributes, I mean, this is just thoughts. I mean, I don't know how I have a grip on it, but God we know is omnipresent. But in that one short time, right, he decided to be in one place at one time. And there was different times in the, you know, in the, in the accounts where he literally appeared in different places. So it, it didn't say that you know, he lost that ability. But yet, there he was. He was in the ship. He was in the house. He was there. He, there he is. He's in one place at one time. And you can see him, the Son of God, right there walking among us. But the glory, um, this morning we were talking about that he laid aside his glory. But there was a glory that would not that he, you know, that would not leave or that he would not lay aside. That is the intrinsic character of him, his goodness, his mercy, his love. But yet the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. He always spoke the truth, never lied. Things like that we'll see if you were to read through the account, full of grace and truth. And so um, what we like to look at more in, um, more in, um, in detail, not exactly exhaustive, but um, it's blocked by there. But, you know, there was this, um, maybe you, you've, you've seen it, and there was this bracelet that came out in, the, um, <clears throat> in high school, I saw it. But it came out in the late 80s, and, it, and, and, and maybe you know what I'm talking about. It said WWJD, right? And so, um, and there was this group that kind of, uh, you know, they, they, they wanted to, uh, to 
to bring some uh, revival among the young men and young uh, women Christians, and they, and they made these bracelets, right? Well, whatever I walk around, maybe I've got to go see oh, the, the decision. Oh, maybe look at my bracelet. What would Jesus do? And it would bring to mind, well, what did exactly did he do around here? And, and, and maybe, you know, he didn't have the choices of movies and things like that that we have. And I think that's the idea. What would Jesus do? Well, you know, in, in the account of Scripture, we know what he did. Not everything, but the accounts that we have, the Holy Spirit revealed what Jesus actually did. And so that's what we like to look at is what Jesus actually did. And he appeared for this purpose. And those are the, some of the key phrases that we're going to look, look at this, uh, this morning is that he came and then he appeared and then his character, different things of his character, they would assign this appeared and this appeared. And we're going to look at it, and then we're going to look at a future appearing uh, if time remains. So just to springboard into this, let's look at Hebrews Some of these we're going to just break right in. We're not going to talk too much about the context, but in Hebrews chapter 10, if you turn there. Keeping in mind that, um, you know, I I don't know how you set your day. Some of us um, are very organized and we, you know, we have lists and things that we like to do. But what would it be like? For someone, a person who existed before and now would appear in somewhere different, don't you think he would have, you know, there would be something for him to do, right? There was a purpose. It wasn't just haphazardly. It wasn't just he came and started doing things and as it started, well, well, maybe um, I'll just see how it goes. Well, we, I, we, you know, we say that reverently because he's God. He knows, no, there was something laid out. And before time began, this plan was already was laid out before and that God came for this purpose. And so looking at in Hebrews 10 and verse 5, this is our phrase. Therefore, when he comes into the world, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, and he's going to quote from the Old Testament, sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. Thou hast taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I come. Behold, I have come in the role of the book to uh, in the role of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. After after saying the above sacrifice and offerings and burnt and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast not desired, but thou hast taken thou has nor hast thou taken pleasure in them for uh, which are offered according to law. But he said, behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so first we'll talk about here in the context. What he's talking about is that there was this ceremony and there's this uh, high priest who would come before the people and he would appear in different things. He would even appear in different clothing. He would go in an offering. He would come back out, offer for himself. He would have different dress and, and garb and stuff. And here at this particular juncture, he's identified the Lord Jesus Christ as a great high priest, the great high priest after Melchizedek. But when he comes and he appeared to us, he wouldn't bring animal offerings quite differently. He would do away with that because we know that those things can never take away from sin. God revealed those things. There was a reminder, it says here in 4, 
and, and three, there was a reminder of sins year by year. But he would bring something else, not a sacrifice of animals, but the sacrifice of himself. Totally uh, 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 doing away with sin, canceling out. But it says here, particularly, that behold, and this is the Lord Jesus speaking, behold, and this is in Isaiah 2, uh, Isaiah 1, uh, T-O-2. Then he says, behold, I have come to do thy will. As it is written uh, in the roll of the book, as it is written of me. So in the scroll, that's the idea of a roll. The scroll of the book, as it is written, to do thy will. And so behold, we were looking last week, behold my servant. The one who would carry out completely everything that God has asked him to do. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ did it. He prayed this in a conversation between the Godhead within it. And God, uh, uh, so to speak, reveals uh, turn, uh, opens the curtain to let us know what's happening between the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and God the Father. He says, I have done everything. I have glorified you on the earth, and I have done everything that you have given me to do. I have accomplished every single thing. And so the Lord Jesus Christ did come for a purpose. He came to fulfill the, uh, the will of God, fulfill the will of God on the earth. And in this case, to do away with that old system and to bring in something new, something complete, something that uh, not just would include Jews, but would include the entire planet, and that he would be the great high priest. And so springboarding onto that, let's go to First John. The first one we would like to look at is First John. Uh, the second one, excuse me. First John chapter 3. We know that he came, when he comes into the world... He came to do the Father's will. But here it says here. Here it says in John, uh, 1 John 3 in verse 5. We'll, we'll jump right in. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. And unlike that high priest of old who would have to bring a sacrifice not only for the people and would offer and intercede for them, he would have to bring a sacrifice for himself because he also had sin. But it says here that in him, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. We were talking about this morning or we heard about the precious blood and the re complete removal of sin. You know, there's several programs and, and, and uh, several answer men that would have answers to do with you know, well, how can we make things right in the world? And we'll get together and we'll talk about this. Well, what is the main problem that we have with the world is rebellion against God. And from that sin entered. Well, here we have he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. While he walked, this is an important uh, fact about him, is that while he was here, he was not contaminated by the world as we are. In him there is no sin. He walked around amongst the sinners. He was amongst uh, uh, the wicked, but he was not contaminated by it. It's a marvel because of his divine character. But yet, um, he appeared to take away sins by the sacrifice of himself. And so he appeared to take away sins. The second one we want to look at is in Timothy, First Timothy, or Second Timothy, chapter one. We'll look at this this other phrase that we've been examining is that he appeared. 
And we'll jump in here in verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which, you have granted, which he has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought to life uh, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so uh, Paul would then focus on something else. He says, well, he saved you, but he's also, when he came by the appearing of himself, he brought something to light. He revealed something, something to a dying race. We already, we already uh, read that he appeared to take away sins, but he also brought this. He abolished death. Something that, it says in Hebrews that that was was hanging over us. Every person, even maybe even in this room, you know, if you're if they're honest with themselves, they're afraid of it because they're not sure what happens next. They're not sure what's. I mean, it's like this. It's like this. Uh, like the cartoons. It's like that piano that's hanging over the head, man. You don't know when it's going to come down, crashing down. Death. The enemy uses it. Why has death come in? Has God created? Has God's creation, when he created man and, 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 and woman, and he placed them in the garden and it was perfect, was things like that from the beginning? They weren't, right? Coming from a perfect God, there was sin. There was rebellion. We, entered, we brought it in ourselves through the deception of Satan, but there was death. He abolished death, meaning he did away with it. And not like the abolishment of this country when, they, when Abraham Lincoln abolished slavery, they were still existing. When he abolished death, it, it, it no longer existed. And all those who would come to the gospel, of course, it's, it's those who would believe, as we see here, but brought, to light, uh, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And there's the second part of this, is life and immortality. You know, ever since... Um, Again, ever since the rebellion, man in their minds have been trying to do away with God and doing away with his programs and trying to get away from the creator. And this is where even in the beginning of our Bible, we see the foundation of the false religion. And we're going to do things on our own and we're going to try to figure it out and we're going to build a tower up to heaven. And, and yes, we know that God exists in, 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 in even in, that, in those days, they, would, they knew he existed uh, he exists, uh, he's immortal. How can we obtain to the immortality that he has? Let's figure it out ourselves, right? I mean, you can look through even the major religious systems of, ancient, of the ancient world. You know, they, they made, like, even in this time, the Greeks and the Romans, they made their gods like people, like they interacted like people. That's because it came from their own mind. You know, they, their gods acted as we would. You know, they had all the flaws. Well, men has always been trying to find, how can I find the meaning of life? How can I have immortality? You know, I don't want to face death. How can I have these things? Well, you have it in the gospel. And you have, well, you have it in God, but he's, he's provided it in the gospel and brought to life. Another thing that I think that man in his, in his heart of hearts is really trying to figure out, why am I here? Why am I living? Is there a purpose? Am I just going to keep on going through? I wake up, I go to work, I come home, maybe, you know, I, I, I go to eat with my family or I hang out with my wife, I play with my kids. At the end, when those things start fading away, what's next? I mean, is that what life is? 
to, to and, and some people, they, they resort their life to be like animals, right? They, they resort to say, well, I'm just going to live for my instincts. I'm going to live for pleasure. Is that what God created you for? No, he brought to life. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's brought meaning and purpose to the human race through the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ, by his appearing, has brought these things. It's been revealed to us um, through the gospel. And so we know that he came to do the will of the Father. He has appeared to take away sin. And he has appeared and abolished death, bringing life and, and immortality to light. He's revealed the purpose of life and brought true life. And he's brought immortality. He's offered it in the gospel if you but receive it. And so let's then shift uh, to another uh, appearing. But yet it's not talking about a person, but yet it will refer to him, but a characteristic. And this is both of these are found in Titus. Let's go to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 3 for context sake. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, but... When the kindness of God, kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the uh, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured uh, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior that being justified by his grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so, again, we have this, this, this contrast of things. One, it labels us in, in, in verse 3 that we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. You know, there's nothing here that while this is written ten, you know, thousands of years ago, it's still today applicable, right? Because it comes from the mind of God. He knows, uh, uh, he knows it's wisdom, right? Because it came from the mind of God. But yet it labels even then what is going on today. We can see this. People are disobedient, and if not more, disobedient, foolish, enslaved to various lusts. I think this is one of the things that we kind of overlook. We think, well, the bad things, you know, sexual things, lusting. But what about the lust for the promotion at work? What about the lust for money? Uh, the lust for things that we don't have. Uh, uh, pleasures. Um, just living, uh, it, labels, it labels sin as this in Hebrews. The passing pleasures of sin. There is something pleasurous. It admits it. The Bible says it. But it's very short-lived. And it comes at a high cost. A very high cost. We know that, that the wages of sin is death. But pleasures, lust, spending our life in malice and envy, hating, hateful and hating one another. Are these any of the characteristics of God? Not at all. Right? And, 
if you would just stop right there, you would say, man, life is very miserable. We, we, I mean, we can just look right up. I mean, this morning, I was telling uh, 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 Frida, I mean, it, it, I mean, I don't watch the news that much. I mean, sometimes I'll read some things that's going on, but you don't have to go far to see things falling apart, right? You don't have to go far to see the, the, the reminder of sin and the effects of what's going on in the world. I mean, just this morning, they, you know, somebody just, I just happened to come right out and said, call the police. And I was like, what? You know, I, I don't know what's going on. I kind of got to, you know, get adjusted. But apparently it was just somebody dropped off a stolen car. They stripped everything out of it. You can look at it. They just dropped it off in our condominiums parking lot. But, you know, these type of things, it seems like things are out of control, right? But if that were the case, you know, to face a holy God, you know, what would it be like if he were to step right in? You know, we would all be, we would all perish, right? His holiness would demand it. But look at what it says here in verse 4. But when he appeared, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love appeared for mankind appeared, he saved us. And so there's another attribute, there's another characteristic of God. It's his kindness, his mercy, his, uh, also his loving kindness, his love for mankind appeared. He saved us. And it says this, not because maybe, you know, not because of things that we've done, right? It says, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. And there are those, you know, we, we have verse 3, you know, those are the sinners, right? But what about those Pharisees, those people that would seek to, to uh, promote themselves and, and be moral people? You know, try to live out the Ten Commandments. You know, they're doing righteous things. God, you know, that's God's righteousness, God's moral law. Well, not according to deeds not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. You know, those, those people too need to be saved as well. They fall short. And quite frankly, those are the most ungodly people too. You know, ungodliness isn't just, you know, it is sin, but it's not just, you know, the vileness that we would think of, of ungodly. Ungodly is doing, it's doing away with God in your mind, trying to overthrow his, his uh, lordship of your life, overthrow his lordship over the universe and say, well, you know what? Step aside. Let me come in there. And that's, that's the self-righteousness attitude, ungodly. But not according to that, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit. So something completely of God. He stepped into the, pit, uh, stepped into the scene of time that we know it. And it says here, according to the, to the scripture, the kindness of God appeared. And what did it do? What did it perform? What, uh, uh, what did it accomplish? Well, it saved us. Those who have received the gospel, those who believe, uh, believed it and have received Jesus Christ as Lord, he has saved us, not according to the deeds which we have done, but according to his mercy. And that really leaves nothing to glory in for ourselves, right? That's why we come this morning. We come to remember him and to, to bring to mind, to remember uh, the things that he has done. And this is the next point as we springboard into it. But even how to conduct our life. And so the next thing we will look at in the same book, just one chapter over, the grace of God appeared. This is in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, it says this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And so we know about what, God, what grace is. There's an acronym, and I think that 
would uh, best describe it. But it's got. Uh, it's also. Some, it's been said that God's riches at Christ's expense. So it's something that you don't work for. It's not just mercy, not getting what you deserve, but it's something given to you as well. And so. What happens in, in, in the plan of salvation is God spares you from the punishment. You won't ever see it again. He's removed the sin. That's the, that's the idea of it, the removal of sins. He's removed the, the iniquity. He's removed the punishment, everything. But he's also given you something, his righteousness. He's made you fit for heaven. And so when God looks at you, he, look, he sees his son's righteousness, bringing salvation to all men. But also this, and I think this is very important, though to those who this morning who are believers. How do I live my life? Well, God's grace teaches us. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Also, says this, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify us for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so if you're here this morning and you're wondering, well, we, we know that God, you know, he, he, we know that the Lord Jesus Christ died for sins. You know, most of the kids can say that and the adults would agree, too. And we know that, the, uh, that God's love has appeared and he saved us according to his mercy. And, but now that I am saved, how do I conduct my life? What, what is, you know, I don't know if you ever thought about this now. What do I do now? You know, um, is there a standard like that old, the Old Testament where there's this list of rules and we come in and check it. You know, they were even told to, to, to tie things around their clothing and on their garments to remind them of the law of God. How do I conduct my life? Is that the same system? Well, it's something quite different. You know, uh, we do have the written word of God. We have commands. I'm not saying that there isn't. But according to this verse, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly. You know, if we were to make a timeline of, of our life, you know, there was a, a starting point where we were born. You know, mine happens to be April 15th. And then there was this other point in our, the next major point, which would be when we got saved. And then, you know, whatever is beyond, we don't know. And then heaven, right? That's the idea of the Christian life. But if we were to label some of the things that we did during those time frame, you know, how do we do, what do we do in the Christian life? Well, you know, you might say we pray, we do things like that. We, we read the Bible and, um, and uh, uh, we're, we're disciplined. But where does God's grace fit in? Well, it's, it fits in both sides. We needed God's grace to be saved. We need God's grace to live the Christian life. Right? It says right here, not, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. God also, not only does when we reflect on God's grace and everything that he's done, it changes the way that you conduct your life. Right? I'm not saying that you know, we live this perfectly. But we leave this place, and if we're not changed, uh, you know, this table or any time that we spend time with the Lord, maybe, maybe we're not saved. Maybe God hasn't, you know, there isn't that renewed relationship. And, and we think about everything that God has done, and in God's grace, how can we then turn around and then go live as we please, go live as the world? 
You know, it just doesn't add up. And that's what and that's what he's saying here. God's grace has instructed us. It's not only saved us, but it's instructed us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires and to live sensibly. That's the major thing I think Christians struggle with, especially here in the West. Right. Sensibly, uh, sensibly living, you know, living for the senses, the things that I see, the things I smell, I taste, the things I feel, you know, look, living for that kind of thing instead of living for uh, that future, which we will have if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that cannot be seen. You know, there's this man uh, in the Old Testament. You know him very well. His name is Abraham. But it said that he, when he was traveling, you know, like, and if you were to look at Abraham, and maybe if they had it back then, you know, Google Maps, you see Abraham moving around. You're like, what is he doing, you know? You know, where is he going? He doesn't have any direction. If you were to, you know, look at apart from what we know according to the scripture. But it said Abraham knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't know where he was going. I mean, on earth. He knew where he was eventually going to be. He was looking for a city that hasn't been built yet, that he hasn't saw, whose maker and designer is God. And that's how Abraham conducted his life here for something that he saw in the future, not with his own senses, with the eye of faith, right? And, and, and God has revealed it to him. He, he took it by faith. So... God's grace has instructed us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly. It means to, to conduct our life in a way that, that is in the straight line. It means that, yes, we, we, every time we spend time with God and, and, and His Word and we come to things like the Lord's Supper, it reminds us of what the, uh, the awful price that was paid for our salvation. And yet... That God has saved us, and not just to save us to, to, to be entities on ourselves. It says this in 14, He gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good deeds. And so He's, he's purchased us for, as, a, as a people. Uh, div, you know, not just people from uh, the tribe of Israel. You know, they were, they're a selective uh, people for God's earthly possession. But here we're talking about uh, his own possession, zealous for good deeds, zealous for the things that God enjoys, zealous for the characteristics that God possesses. Are you zealous for those things? There's a zeal. You know, there's a lot of people that are in this world that are zealous for different things. And not just talking about, um, you know, religion. You know, there's a uh, major religion, and, and the, the very name of their religion means dedication and, and, and to be in submission. You know, ze- they're zealous for what they believe, but they're still going to hell, right? And, and there's, there's, zeal- there's zealousness for those who aren't religious. They're zealous for the love of money. They're zealous for relationships. They're zealous for different things. But here's something, zealous for good deeds, the things, the characteristics of God. Uh, zealous for the things that he loves. What is God involved with? What pleases the heart of God? You know, these are the things that his own possession, these are the things that are, uh, that w- are part of us, are part of those who know the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And looking, verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and appearing of, our glory, uh, of the glory of our great God and Savior. And so we're looking forward for that. This hasn't happened yet, but we're looking forward for that appearing. And we're going to look at it in a second. But are you going to be, it talks about this, that we won't be ashamed at his appearing. Will you be ashamed? Are you conducting your life in the manner that would be, and according to here it says in Titus, um, 
worthy for uh, his own possession, zealous for good deeds, you know, and not living just for the senses, denying ungodliness, worldly desires. Well, the grace of God instructs us of this. So that's the, that's the beauty of the, the gospel. Yes, it's for the unsaved, you know, that part of that life. And I come to the point where I got saved. But now as a believer and I keep walking my Christian life, I go back to the gospel. The grace of God instructs me to do these things. And so let's just look at one more. And this is what we're looking forward to. We know that in, in 13, he's going to appear for us, right? He's going to take us back. There's another appearing. But there's also this future appearing, which isn't going to be like the first one. Let's look in, in tight, uh, 2 Thessalonians. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two. We're gonna have to look at this one a little bit in the time remaining. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse eight. No, seven. Well, for context sake, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he was taken out of the way. And so there's this lawless, as we're talking about, uh, mentioning. You know, you don't have to go far to realize there's something really extremely wrong going on. There's just, it seems like an, uncontrollable, an uncontrollable, you know, amount of evil. And, and people able to do whatever they want. You know, um, if, you know if you work in the, in the workforce, you know, um, there's a lot of complaining, right? They... People don't get what they deserve, right? I hear that a lot. You know, they need to get what they deserve. Well, if we all got what we deserve, we'd all be dead, right? I mean, <laughs> we're kind of saying things and we're not quite thinking them out. But, you know, it seems like that. And, and, and you know, sometimes even driving your car, you know, you know, you get cut off. I've said this before. And you're like, man, I wish somebody would, you know, a cop was there to kind of like catch that guy. You know, there's this commercial they're, they're running. I was watching this volleyball game yesterday. But, you know, the cop's kind of like, you, you can't see him through the... He's kind of hiding in the bushes, you know, and he catches all the, the drunk drivers that are out there. But, you know, that isn't the case, right? There is lawlessness. And there are things that seem to go unpunished. And bad things happen to good people. But the reason, there is a purpose. And there is something that God will eventually deal with. But right now, the, the total, uh, the, as it would be, the mountain peak or the apex of lawlessness hasn't happened yet. And it's going to be centered in and in, in, in Satan, of course, will be the one driving this, but it will be centered in a man. And his name is uh, we know as the Antichrist, but he's also called the lawless one in verse eight. But uh, verse eight, let's read it. And then that lawless son will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one who's Whose, uh, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan and all the powers and signs and false wonders with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they do not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. And so, you know, the world is going, while it, it is going out of control, you know, you think of that future time in the tribulation, how terrible. You know, the human government then and, you know, uh, uh, headed by the Antichrist, is going to be the perfect human government. You know, things are going to be working out. People are going to be united. 
there, there's going to be a, a short amount of peace and, and it's going to look like he's got everything figured out, right? But the, th- the driving force behind it is Satan himself. And so looking forward to that time, it's going to look, well, man, nothing could get worse. And even after all the plagues and everything that's happening, well, there's going to be another appearing to set things right. And it's going to be when God appears, he's going to deal with evil once and for all. It says here that he's by his appearance, he's going to slay that person with the with the word of his mouth. I mean, he's not even going to draw a weapon. It's going to be just his his the things that he speaks. Right. But not only that, I want you to look down in in verse 10. With all deception and wickedness and those who perish for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth as to be saved. There's another party here. It's not just the Antichrist, that lawless one. There are those who don't love the truth. You might know some of them. You might work with some of them. They might be in your family, right? They don't love the truth as to be saved. They're also included in that group. They're going to be done away with. Bring an end to evil. Cast in the lake of fire. This is something that's not like the first appearing. This is the second appearing when the Lord Jesus comes back. But yet... If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the appearing that you're going to be seeing. Him coming back to do away with evil. And if you don't see it, you're going to be dead in your sins already. And you're going to be in that lake of, you're going to be in hell waiting for that time when you will meet him as your judge. But for those of us who are believers, we talked about the grace of God instructing us to live ungodly and to, and to live sensibly. But knowing that second appearing that he's going to come back and the world will see him, not that little babe in a manger, lowly. I mean, can you think about, you know, the men of renown that we would think of, you know, those sports athletes and, 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 and political figures. Do you think they ever would do, you know, be uh, subject to the things that the Lord Jesus, the creator of the universe, would subject himself to? No way, you know, no way. But to think, you know, that God would subject himself to these kind of things. But yet, you know, they would think, oh, that's weak. But he's going to come again, and it's not going to be in weakness. It says that he he comes to wage war in righteousness. He comes to wage war in righteousness, Revelation 19 says. Faithful and true is his name, and he will deal with evil. So we do have, it's a twofold thing. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, evil will be dealt with. And we trust the Lord Jesus. We leave things to him to take care of, right? It's not something that the Christian needs to get involved with. Something the Christian needs to change the world. There's going to be no change in the world unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. But the second thing is, is it activates us for the gospel, right? It should. Because we know that those who do not love the truth as to be saved, their consignment is going to be death, right? They chose, they've chosen it for themselves. It's not that God hasn't told them enough, you know, to be active in the gospel if you are a believer today. So looking forward to that period. So just some things that we looked at at this time of year when we uh, considered the Lord Jesus Christ, the word became flesh. Well, what exactly did he do? Well, he appeared. He appeared to us. It literally means that he, he existed before, but yet he, was, uh, he appeared to us in this short amount of time and yet went back to heaven. We don't see him. We know he exists, right? The, Lord, the Holy Spirit has revealed him to us, but he will come again and appear to bring an end to evil and to enact the final plan of God's salvation, bringing us home and establishing his kingdom and, uh, and creating a new heaven and a new earth. And so just some things to remember 
this Christmas season. And let us close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we just thank you for this time. We just thank you for your word that uh, gives us promises and, and lets us know ahead of time, Lord. We know that even in your word, your word says in Amos that you don't do anything without revealing it first. And so this won't be a surprise, Lord, but um, we just pray that the, the biggest struggle that we have, Lord, and we ask that you help us with our own uh, laziness, our own slothfulness, and that we would become uh, more sensible and to go back to the, that time, if it takes, that time that we were saved and to reflect on your grace to instruct us how to live. We just thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and this season that we come it reminds us of his birth. And we just ask your blessing for the rest of this day. In the Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.